0: When does Scott come
1: back? Do you know? Uh, If they let him back, who knows? And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! What's in the box? I got nowhere up to go! I got nowhere up to go! I got nothing else. So, on to good news comic books.
0: (laughs) So, have you made any additions to your collection since last we spoke?
1: I actually have gone a little comic crazy with some higher end books. Mm. I am currently awaiting. Delivery. Let me see if I can find what I got uh, on some books that I just bought on eBay. And I think I got good prices on them, which I will not share. Uh, but I'm waiting for delivery on Iron Man number one and number two. No kidding. Uh, Avengers <clears throat> number six and number 16. Showcase number 73, which is the first appearance ever of the Creeper. And Strange Tales 127, 136, and 139. Ooh. So they're they're a little higher end. So I spent more money than I would have liked on them, but I didn't go crazy. I, I think I got reasonable bargains on each one, even though I spent more than I wanted. Right. I didn't. I, I don't. You know. I think. I well. I don't think. I know. I got each one of them for under market. Well, so.
0: Very nice.
1: So I'm content on on that purchase on those purchases. And then when they come in the mail, I'll tell Tina and I bought them for two dollars each uh,
0: That's my recommendation. You need to sit her down and
1: lie right to her face
0: that's the best way you know i was
1: in <laughs> I was in a comic store uh last week, and I picked out a bunch of things, you know mostly the low end stuff the dollar two dollar books, whatever. but the stack started getting a little higher and uh, I said, yeah, that's it all I'm going to buy because I don't want to come in with too big a stack. because because it's you know. obvious. Then I'm going to get a question. He says, he says so how long are you doing this? He says, you put it in the garage, you wait till she's asleep, and then you go get it and put it in your collection. I said, no. I, I said that, that's all well and good, except she's smart enough to figure that one out.
0: I used to do stuff like that with my
1: ex-wife.
0: I actually would ship stuff to my mother's house, pick it up on another occasion. Well, my mother just, wasn't good at keeping a mouth shut
1: because of oh, you know, another box for you came today. Uh, thank you, mom. I used to, I actually used to do that at my office, uh, and and you know, without having fiendish plans, I used to do it like with Christmas presents, get them delivered to the office, so this way nobody would see them when they came in the mail, and then they uh they started doing a, a you know they, they started. Telling everybody you can't get personal things delivered to the office. Oh. Uh. so what are you going to do? But anyway, let's talk some comics here, because otherwise it's going to get later and later. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and over there on the other side of the computer line is Mr. David Pascarella. Hey, how's it going? It's well. It's going. I'm tired. You're tired. And the people listening are probably tired of us. But we'll talk, and we'll talk some comics. And uh, we were just talking about some purchases that we've made. or Actually, we're talking about purchases that I've made. Have you made any purchases of late?
0: I have indeed. From that gift you gave me, I've started to piggyback off that. And I picked up uh, Superman 155 from 1962. And Superman 160 from March of '63.
1: And did you get those at a uh, a local store or online?
0: Nah, that these are eBay purchases. It seems the local shops are not going back
1: that far. Well, some of them do, but uh, you know I, I think Superman issues are a little bit more of a catch. You know, it, it you don't go in and find solid runs on Superman in the comic store. You'll find the occasional issue and you probably have to hit numerous stores to get, you know, a, a solid run in, of any of any substance, you know, when you go back that far. Yeah, that's the thing.
0: And I added, uh, I bought that Time Life special, uh, 85 Years of Superman.
1: Uh, it was Time Life special, like a video. Or?
0: No, it's a magazine.
1: Uh, oh, I, I haven't seen that one.
0: it's it's nice. It's got a big picture, of Christopher Reeve on
1: the uh,
0: Christopher Reeves
1: on the cover. Not George Reeves.
0: No, Christopher Reeve. I always
1: no, thought. No, no. I mean, we we we've talked about how George Reeves was both of our first Superman live action. Yes. Uh, is he your fallback live live version, or because most of the people who listen. Christopher Reeve is the, their fallback.
0: No, George.
1: George, which, George, George Reeves. Reeves is mine. It, it, that's that's the first image that come in, comes to mind for me when I think live Superman.
0: Yeah. And his I've said it many times before. His Clark Kent is probably my favorite Clark Kent. I, I, I really don't I've care. said that, too. I don't care for the Christopher Reeve Clark Kent in the least.
1: Well, I, I like the Christopher Reeve version because you could see how he plays the character so different that people wouldn't make the connection necessarily of him being the same guy, at least in theory. Uh, and it, there's that one scene when he's gonna like reveal himself to Lois and all of a and he stands straight up and there's you know something that, I
0: have to tell you.
1: So that, you know, there's something to be said for that. Whereas the George Reeves Clark Kent is cool. Right, and, that's the thing. He's cool. Yeah, and, and and you know, and they don't they don't make any bones about it. Like he's not portrayed as a nerd at all.
0: Uh, I think I said I think there's a, at least at least one episode where he he like punches somebody, and not yeah. like a phony thing. Like he he knocks him out.
1: And I, I always, you know, I, I've said many times, I always take it as George Reeves is playing the part as if everybody around him doesn't know. But you, the viewer, are in on the uh, secret with him. So he'll look and wink at the camera.
0: And say, well, Lois, I'm not Superman.
1: And then you play, cue the theme music. (laughs) That's, yeah, and, you know, I mean, that's what I grew up with. See, now, being a little older than you, you were still pretty young when the Christopher Reeve version came out. Right, I was suddenly. so I could see where that would have imprinted itself on you more than it did even me. Uh, whereas, you know, I was in high school when the movie came out. So by then I already kind of had my Superman locked in in my mind with being George Reeve George Reeves, excuse me. I was get that. I was right. Me. me too. But, uh, you know, and I was already an avid comic collector by the time the movie came out. So for me I could you know, like it, it it makes more sense to me that I would have that image locked in. Whereas for you I'm a little surprised because again, you know, you're seven years old when the movie comes out, you would think that would be your definitive version.
0: I think it was because it was the overexposure because it was you know, you came home well even before I went to school. The T V viewing in the afternoon was three o'clock was Superman. was Batman, and 4 o'clock was The Lone Ranger. And I watched that like clockwork. Yeah,
1: and good clockwork it was.
0: And remember, at that time, you know, you went to the movies and you you saw the movie, and then you came home and you watched the original on television, because it wasn't like, oh, let's put the video in and watch it.
1: That's true. <clears throat> you know, although when when VCRs first became big, now I remember VCRs becoming you know widely owned around 1982
0: or so. We got it in '83.
1: And, and when they first came around, the VHS of Superman the movie was one of the first ones that people seemed to own in their homes. And I'm talking about paying like you know $100 to buy it. But a lot of people I knew. You know, they they owned one pre-recorded movie, and that was it.
0: Yeah, I we didn't get pre-recorded movies till much later.
1: Well, yeah, I didn't start buying pre-recorded movies really until until they. Well, I remember Star Trek Two being like thirty-four dollars. You know, it was a bargain price, and I think I I think I bought that. I think that may be the first pre-recorded movie I bought.
0: I think the first one I. I joined one of those clubs, you remember? Mm-hmm. And you got three movies, and then you, you had to buy whatever, four more. And I think the first movie I ever bought was Star Trek IV.
1: So Star Trek IV was around '86, I think? I think so. It would take a little. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I also joined one of those at some point when I had a. You know when I started to have a good-sized VHS collection, but by that time, you know they 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 were usually bargain-priced, uh, and I remember uh, video stores would for like when a movie like say Back to the Future came out on VHS, they'd buy 15 copies to rent out, and then after six months or so, you know they didn't need 15 copies anymore, so they'd keep three on the shelf and they'd put 12 of them in a bin that you could buy them for like. Fifteen dollars or ten dollars or whatever it was. So I did have a decent number of movies that I purchased that way, right? Uh, and I remember, you know, the store, you know, I was I was a regular enough that if I bought one and I, it was damaged or whatever, I could bring it back and they would credit me. So I didn't have to worry about oh, if, you know, what what if this is you know if the people who rented this screwed up the tape or something?
0: Right. So well, I think the, know, the the first Superman movie I had like that I could watch on a tape was Superman 2, taped from the television. And I watched the hell out of that. I mean, with the commercials, because I learned early on, if you tried you remember, oh, I'll pause it when the commercial starts. All too often, it didn't go well at some point.
1: I was I was big on the pausing it when the commercial starts. I, I, I got that down pretty well. But then again, I was older than you. So. Uh, but I, I had my first copy of Superman was taped off of HBO. We didn't have HBO. We didn't. Well, that was in the days when we could not get cable. Well, you in had the box. In Brooklyn, and we had an antenna up on our roof uh-huh. uh, that got HBO and a box on the TV that got HBO, and HBO was none the wiser.
0: Right. Yeah, we had that earlier. We had the WHT
1: box. Yeah, we had that. Wameco Home Theater. They used to show... Uh, They'd show a movie at 8 o'clock. They'd show a different movie at 10 o'clock. Then the one they showed at 8 o'clock, they'd show it again at midnight. And then at 10 a.m., they'd show a family-friendly movie. And otherwise, they would show, I think, like Channel 68 during the day, which the only savings grace to that was it had Uncle Floyd on it. Uncle Floyd. (laughs) God. So? Jeez.
0: It's another – it's a lifetime – But, you know, watching that Superman 2 taped all those years, you discover when you finally got it on uh, Blu-ray or DVD, there's scenes that are still not not in it that were just in the TV version. Like, you watch it for the first time, and you're waiting for X to happen, and it's not in there.
1: Hmm. I'm not even sure what deleted scenes there were in Superman 2. Superman the movie, some good friends of mine just did an extended version commentary on that. So I kind of know which ones are added to that. But Superman 2, I'm not sure what extra things there were.
0: The thing that always sticks in my mind is when they're storming the White House. And it cuts to like a a Secret Service agent or someone on the phone. He's like, don't worry, everything's under control. Nobody's going to get in here. And like a guy gets thrown through the wall.
1: Okay, I don't remember that. What do you think of the uh, comparison of the theatrical version and the Donner version?
0: Uh, in concept, I think I like the Donner version better, in a concept world.
1: Yeah, I agree totally, because the, cause the, <coughs> the version that they came out with, the Donner cut, is a lot of unfinished material, so it's not as polished. Right. But if it had been the version they were going to go with and they had polished it up before releasing it, I think it's a superior vision. Right. But, yeah, get rid of some of the stupid humor.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. I wish that really, you know, like if you could really go back and redo some of those scenes with the, I hate to say it, the CGI of today. And really have like Zod and Ursula and Nan going up against in a real battle as opposed to a few guys with rifles.
1: Well, I I mean, I guess they could theoretically at least take the scenes they have and clean them up and make it, you know, make it into a polished version if they wanted. I would say they have the technology to do that. But I don't think they're ever going to have the financing to do it.
0: Yeah, there's not a, the demand, supply and demand. There's no demand.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why they won't have the financing. So, yeah. all right, that's that's a good enough preamble here. Let's talk some comics.
0: All right. Uh,
1: when we were discussing what to cover today, Dave suggested a Batman book and then said, oh, that's the first Batman I ever bought, a, you know, for my collection. And it happens to be one that I have in my collection, by the way, that I bought off the newsstand as well. Uh, and then I said, okay, you know, if that's, we'll, we'll go with that as a, as our theme, the first issue of a series that we bought. So the first issue of the Avengers that I bought was issue 122. So that's what I brought today. So today is in its own way. It's first issue special. Right. Exactly. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you the choice. Would you care to cover your book first or mine?
0: I'll do mine first. All right. I'll just tell you the, the background on this book. Let's see, this came out in uh, 1982, so I was 11. And I got to preview this book because uh, a fella in school, he he was a big Batman fan, and I was a big Superman fan. And he brought this Batman book to school one day. And I got to look through it, and the cover itself, I had no idea who Two-Face was. Because, you know, my experience with Batman was the Adam West program and Two-Face never made it onto that. So I knew well, nothing.
1: Yeah, un- until they made the cartoons of the
0: right, right, 66
1: right. and then William Shatner voiced Two-Face.
0: <laughs> exactly. But up until that point, I, I didn't know. And I- I- the cover was what sucked me in. I just thought it was so, I don't know, wild. You know, you have this cover split in half with him in the center and the two, you know, completely different thug armies, I guess we'll call them.
1: Yeah, you have fantastic. Like, your gangsters on the left and your uh, your street thugs on the right.
0: You know, it's funny. I looked at this not knowing who Two-Face was. My first glance at that was like, is that the Hulk? Is the Hulk <laughs> in... But, yeah, so that's that's the story behind this. And uh, I guess I'll just jump into it. Again, we're doing Batman number 346. Cover dated April 1982. On sale January 14th, 1982. At a whopping 60 cents. The writer, Jerry Conway. Penciler, Don Newton. Inca, Frank Cheriamante, letterer Benoda, colorist Adrian Roy, and editor Dick Giordano. Gio- Gio- I had a little stroke there. And the episode title is Half a Hero. Harvey Two-Face Dent sits in a cell in Arkham Asylum flipping his silver dollar coin under the close watch of two guards. Flip, 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 tink, the coin hits the floor and Two-Face is vanished before the guard's eyes. After an extensive and unsuccessful search of the grounds, Commissioner Gordon and Batman are summoned to investigate. While Gordon and the police are equally stumped, Batman retrieves the coin from Two-Face's cell and learns that it is not his real coin, but a hypnotizing device that he used to escape against the guards. After a fruitless investigation, Batman gives Commissioner Gordon a ride home, and Batman notices Gordon's true concern. The Commissioner is concerned about his future, now that Hamilton Hill has been elected Mayor of Gotham. Once home, Gordon finds his daughter, Barbara, preparing him a home-cooked meal. But his worries don't disappear. Batman returns home, and as he goes up to the penthouse of the Wayne Foundation, he's intercepted by Alfred, who tells him that Lucius Fox is waiting for him. When Bruce learns that Fox wants a bit of advice for him, he acts uncharacteristically rude towards him. But the attitude is meant to teach Lucius to take matters into his own hands. Despite the reasoning behind his action, Bruce doesn't feel any better. The next day, Dick Grayson starts having troubles with his new girlfriend, Dalla, who acts as if nothing ever happened between them. Concerned, and like most stalkers, Dick starts following her, much to Dollar's delight. In the evening, Bruce goes on a date with Vicky Vale, but abandons it when he recalls the most possible location of Two-Face's hideout. The sudden change makes Vicky even more suspicious that Bruce Wayne is, in fact, Batman. Batman finds Two-Face's lair in Gotham's Lower East Side, in the halfway house on East 4th, 4th Street. However, Two-Face has been waiting for Batman and is well-prepared with a series of traps. Batman deduces Two-Face's plan, but soon finds himself confronting several of Two-Face's gang. Half are street thugs and half are high-class hitmen. This This matches the decor of the hideout. Half the lobby is a ragged shambles while the other half is as glittering and golden as the plaza. Batman defeats the gang and avoids a series of death traps, including a guillotine disguised as a wall and an electrified fire escape. Meanwhile, Two-Face and his new consort arrange the last stage of their plan. In the main room, Two-Face is waiting for him. Batman easily arrests the villain, But the madman soon takes off his mask, revealing Margo, Two-Face's new companion, behind the disguise. Two-Face and his men show up on the other side of the room, protected by a glass wall. The madman activates knockout gas into the room. After a few minutes, Batman falls unconscious, and Two-Face has the perfect plan for his nemesis. At Gotham City Hall... James Gordon is forced to submit his resignation under the orders of Mayor Hill. When Gordon leaves the building, Hill confers with boss Rupert Thorne, and the crime lord soon introduces his choice for the new police commissioner, Peter Pauling. With Hill and Pauling under his control, Rupert Thorne's control over Gotham is secured. To be continued...
1: It almost had the feel for me like the TV show where you'd have, you know, at the end, Batman would be, you know, in a giant water bottle or something. And, you you know, how's he going to get out of this one? Tune in next time. You know, that type of thing. Uh, I felt like they overdid the splitting everything in half to the point of being a little silly. I mean, I guess it's a silly concept to begin with when you really think about it. But just, you know. Like like on the cover, to even have like like that he's got to be standing exactly in the middle, which you know makes for a dramatic presentation, I guess. But it's it just seems like so crazy, you know. You're gonna bring in contractors to build it this way, and I don't know. It, it's just like a little over the top for me.
0: And what um, happens if he turns around? Now he's not not on the yeah, right.
1: now he's on the wrong side. <laughs> yeah. So, you know,
0: You know what that reminded me of, that whole thing? Do you remember the old sitcoms where there'd be like two roommates and they'd have a fight and decide, we're going to split the apartment in half and put like a tape line
1: right down the middle? That is that's exactly what it feels like. It's It's just, you know, conceptually, it's just a little too silly for me. I, I like the character of Two-Face, and I like the fact that he's always going to depend on the coin and he's going to flip the coin and leave things to fate. And that whole aspect of it, I'm kind of cool with. Uh, but just for him to be gimmicky with that seems to take it too far. Yeah.
0: Well, at age 11, I thought it was <laughs> very cool.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I can overlook that, you know, it, it's the nature of the beast that sometimes we're going to be more critical of this stuff when we're reviewing it than we would if we were just sitting down to read it for fun. Uh, so, you know, I, I look for the pluses, I look for the minuses, and that's the minus I see. On the plus side, I think, I, you know, I'm not really, really big on Don Newton's art. Not that I'm not liking it, I'm just not aware of so many examples of it. Uh, and I do like what I see as far as the layouts and what looked to be, you know, the, the way he drew the scenes. But I think that Frank Chiamatti kind of, I don't know, he kind of simplified it. It feels like to me, like, like it's lacking some details in some spots where I think it might have otherwise had it. Or I, I, I think I may be even saying it wrong. Uh, I, I just think I just think that the pe- it, it looks to me like the pencils would be far superior than the final product in its own way, and I'm blaming it on the inking, which may or may not be fair. Uh, but I'm not sure exactly what would have made it better. I think I think what we needed was maybe possibly some some just some some things that made it look a little bit more moody at points, something that made it look a little bit more film noirish. Mm. Because I think this story calls for a film noir feeling there's and and you know maybe it's not even so much the inking as the coloring. There's a lot of bright colors in this, and that's not really lending itself to the feel that I think you should have. It's very bright so What's you know i like I'm, I'm moving bright. I'm moving from Newton to Chairmont to who's the colorist uh, uh, Adrian Roy. Yeah, so Adrian Roy, who I'm not familiar with at all, uh, I think that may be the uh, the culprit in not having the right mood that I'm looking for.
0: Well, even the night scenes, it's incredibly
1: bright for at night. Yeah, there's a few dark scenes interspersed into it, but they're too far, too few and far between. Yeah. So that's that's my biggest. Those those are my negatives on this. I think the penciling actually, like I said, I think it looks like it might be really really solid to me. Um, Jerry Conway, I think he puts together a good story. I'm curious, you know, I I I like that he's got some subplots going here, and I don't remember, you know, reading this back in 1982 and where it went to from here. So you know, he's got the subplot with with, uh, Dick Grayson and his. girlfriend and obviously that's going to lead to somewhere. He's he's got the Vicky Vale things going on, that's obviously going to lead to somewhere. He's got Commissioner Gordon and and the mayor. So there's there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of uh you know balls in the air here. Uh and and I I think, you know, that's kind of the continuing narrative that I enjoy you get one story but in that story you got a lot of little things happening that are going to keep kind of carry through so that even when a story ends there's more stuff going on that want to makes you want to keep reading the book that you have a narrative through line even between different chapters or stories
0: and if you're just jumping on for quick you know read you're not completely confused. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's small enough that it could just go by the wayside where you'll get more if you're reading everything. But if you're not, it still works out.
1: And that's that's the part of me that always enjoyed uh, when they would have the you know, the asterisks and then telling you, you know, in the footnotes, you know, look to this issue to see what this was about and look to this to see what this was about. And then, you know, I'd go over to the uh, local comic store and I always have to add in that even when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old, there was a local comic store that I could go to uh, and I'd be looking for back issues that had the specific topics that were addressed in the footnotes and I'd get very excited. Okay, now I can read that and see what happened and how it happened. So, you know, and, and Jerry Conway is has always been a favorite of mine. Uh, I know people seem to have mixed feelings about him. I don't know if there was something that he said or did that turned people off. But, you know, I, I, I've always enjoyed his writing. I met him at New York Comic Con one time. I thought he was very friendly and very, uh, you know, very welcoming. Uh, so I, I'm still a fan. I don't know what, you know, if if anybody else has anything negative. Uh, and, and I, I Again, I like his narrative through line. I like his story. I like where it goes. Uh, I, you know, my biggest problems are it should have been the, the artwork should have been darker. And uh, I have to get over the fact that just the two face gimmick gets a little goofy at times. That's my only negatives. Uh, otherwise, I really enjoyed this book.
0: Now, I think if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, everything at that time was a two part. I think it was always the first half of the story was in Batman, and the second half was in Detective Comics. They don't go from Batman to Batman; they go across the line.
1: Which I I, I was never a big fan of that. Uh, you know, I mean, there was a while where the Superman books did well. That. They were all you know,
0: right. They were all into twine.
1: and then and and Spider-Man books did that too. I mean, that became more big in the nineties. Uh, where they were intertwining, you know, six different series, but the story was just continuing from one to another. And, and I always thought that was way too much. You know, then we could uh, we just a clone saga one day or, uh, you know, it, I mean, I, I think there's no better example of it than the death of Superman. Yeah.
0: I wonder, though, if this was just the two books that they had, if they were trying to almost mimic the TV show. Where it was, you know, part one and then part two.
1: If they were going to do that where they were going to go into multiple stories, I kind of wish they'd bring some of them into the Brave and the Bold as well.
0: Oh, you mean really make it a, a long
1: narrative. Yeah, right? you know, you know, I mean, you wouldn't do it with every storyline, but every once in a while maybe you'd cross that one into where, you know, something would happen during the course of the story where Batman would interact with another hero and you, and you work it into the the long form. I think I think I would like that, and it's funny because I say that in in the midst of talking about how I didn't like them doing it between multiple books. But you know, they, they, your mileage can vary on different things. If you're gonna do it, then I then I, you might as well jump in feet first. Is my thought.
0: Well, you know, the negative is like if you were only bu- if you could only buy one comic book. Remember, we weren't all rich back then, and you were only buying Batman. You never got the second half of the
1: story. That would be true. Yeah, I mean, and there was back then, you know, especially when you went to the comic, when you went to like the newsstand to buy them and you weren't going to a comic store, there was always the chance that either the store wouldn't get the next chapter or it got the next chapter. But before you got to the store, they only had four copies and four other people bought them already.
0: Well, that's why I bought this at the candy store.
1: I, I think by the time this came out, I had a pull list at the local store.
0: So we didn't have a comic shop anywhere near me.
1: Uh, It would have required my mother to drive. There was one on 86th Street and 19th Avenue. That's the first comic store I ever went to.
0: Wait a minute, 86th? That was the bookstore, right? He was a bookstore. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I remember him.
1: And he had comic books. Joe Joe Herbs. Joe Herbs. That was Uh, the first comic store I ever went to. Yes. And my cousin lived in Benchrist at the time. And I used to go to his house, and we'd walk. From Seventy Fifth Street up to Eighty Sixth, and we'd we'd buy our comics and we'd go back walk back to his house.
0: I bought a lot of comics there, and I bought a lot of books, you know, book books
1: there. Yeah, and that was the the sign in front of the store just said books.
0: Yeah, God. But until uh, you know, other than that, the only other place was uh, when they opened Caesar's Bazaar. Mm-hmm. They Parkway, way. They had a guy in there who had a comic book, uh, comic books and cards.
1: There were, there were a few others when I you know I was living in Marine Park, and there were a few others in that area. And uh, I remember getting into conversations with uh, Dan DiDio and Joe Palmiotti about two different stores that all three of us went to over the years. Uh, and, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. And for all I know, I, I may have run into one of them over the years before I knew who they were.
0: And you say, get out of my way. I'm in a hurry.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's cool when you can look back with, you know, it's 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 kind of cool that you know the store that I was talking about. And not only do you know the store, but you know the guy's name.
0: God. Yeah, well, I remember because you used, you used to get a bookmark with everything you bought, a, like a cardboard thing, and it had his name on it.
1: I remember I was buying... Uh, you know, it was it was in the days when I was collecting Spider-Man books and I was actually working my way backwards, which I still to this day say that's my regret is that I didn't save up and buy the earlier issues. But anyway, I remember, bought, you know, I, when I first bought Sp- Spider-Man, it was up to issue 132, 131. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I managed to get down to issue 100 and then. Issues under a hundred he kept behind the counter. He didn't even have them out, like that you could just find them in, in the in the bins. So like each time I would go, I'd be like, Okay, I need number ninety eight. I need number ninety seven. You know, and, and he'd pull it out and it would be like, you know, I don't know, two dollars or something like that. It would be an expensive book. Oh my
0: God. Well, two dollars was a lot of money at one point.
1: Yeah, I just I had to save up to buy those back issues. And uh, eventually my run going backwards went back to issue 48 was as far as I got uh, but now you know in the last couple of years I bought a few others underneath that so I have I probably have underneath 48 I probably have about maybe 12 issues or so uh, and then from 48 up I have a you know good solid run for quite a while anyway back to back to half a hero uh, i gave you gave you kind of my take on it you, what you what was your impression on it
0: I love the hell out of this story. I really do. And uh, it, it set me off for a while. You know, I didn't stick with Batman. I did buy a few issues. I, I don't even have them anymore. But I was interested in this uh, storyline with Commissioner Gordon getting booted from the commissioner Mm-hmm. It's uh, Paul Pauling, Peter Pauling coming in. But, uh, you know, I find the whole... Uh, what do you call it, The the this era where you see Commissioner Gordon <laughs> riding around in the Batmobile with Batman. It's just uh, I love the hell out of it. The uh, the Wayne Tower. I remember that being such a big deal in the comics back then. In fact, I believe they made a Amigo play set of that kind of based no, really. on I'm pretty sure there was a Wayne Foundation like tower, based on like the Barbie Dream House type of thing. I'm almost positive if you go to the Mego Museum uh, page, I'm pretty sure he's got pictures of it.
1: Hmm.
0: But I just, uh, you know, it's very reminiscent of. You know, it makes you, it makes me feel good, the trip back yes. to a simpler
1: time. There's definitely an element of nostalgia that comes in with stuff like this.
0: And you know, I love the the costume, the the grey with the blue cape and the blue cowl. Very Neil Adams esque.
1: Yeah, definitely. Is that uh that's it's not Jim Aparo, is it? Oh it's Rich Buckler, the cover. It's Buckler Giordano. Yeah. Down in I, the bottom right corner.
0: It's just, you know, we, you went, we went through such a phase where, uh, you know, Batman's on the outs with the police. And this is a throwback to, you know, like he's coming in and conducting the investigation with them.
1: Right. It's
0: not quite the old TV show, but uh, it's a step forward. I mean, some people may not like that. But, you know, the the other funny thing is when I read this book for the first time, and I think I've said this on other programs, you know, not being experienced at all with Batman, my first reaction to Commissioner Gordon was, who the hell is this guy with the mustache? <laughs> and where's Chief O'Hara?
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember looking for Chief O'Hara. But...
0: uh yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I, I and I, you know, if you want, we could grade it. I'm ready to grade if
1: you are. Sure, let's go.
0: For me, I, I still love the cover. For me, the cover's an A. It was a selling point. That's what got me to buy this book. I got such a kick out of the two completely distinct worlds. It's like the odd couple on steroids. <laughs> The right half of the place is where Oscar Madison lives and the left is Felix Unger. The, the coloring I like. Batman at the bottom is very cool looking to me. <laughs> the word bubble. You're mad man, Two-Face. This is carrying your split personality too far. It's just, I don't know. It's like from a simpler time and I, I get a kick out of it. So And it's my review, so I'm giving it an A. The story I thought was interesting, I found it compelling. I didn't know who the hell Two-Face was. I wish I'd gotten some more information about him. I don't remember if in the uh the sequel to this in the D- detective comics issue if they give you a background on Two-Face. But uh I like the story. I like the subplots. I don't I don't really remember the Dick Grayson one. Where the hell that was going. And maybe at age 11, I, I didn't care. But I found the Commissioner Gordon subplot. A great jumping arm point. So I gave the story an A as well. I like the art. For me, it's uh, it's of the time. You're right. There's something a little off. Could be the coloring. Could be the inking. Gordon looks really worn I don't know whether I'm assuming he's drawn this way because of all the stress that's going on and if but he's, he's definitely off model. There's something slightly off about him. But the art is overall good. I'm going to give the art a solid B+ plus, and my overall grade is an A. All
1: right. I do not have the same nostalgia for this book as you, but I do see it pretty highly rated uh the cover the biggest problem i have with the cover is i feel like it should be more symbolic than real (laughs) when i was when i was reading the story i was actually like surprised that he's got the house built that way and i mean look at the cover if you go to the back the window uh looking out through the window one side is is Bleaker than the other, the buildings outside the building on one side are bleaker than the other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's a little maybe just a little too extensive for me. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm taking it as symbolic, it's really well rendered and it is eye catching and and makes you want to see what the story is. Again, I just can't take it too seriously as being real and uh, put real in quotes. I guess. So I'm but I'm gonna say it's really well drawn. I'm gonna say a solid b plus like bordering on an a for me the interior art i think you know having talked it out i think my biggest problem with it is the coloring i think it's just too bright and it should have more of a film noir feel for it i think the the penciling is really good and i can't point to any specific problem with the inking so i really think my problem is coming to the coloring uh but, you know, I'm taking the art as a whole. That's the way I, I, I look at it. It's not, you know, I can't say, well, the penciling and the inking are good, so I'm going to forget that the coloring is the way it is. I do have to take the artwork, you know, on its whole. on its whole. So I think this potentially could have been an A book as far as the artwork, but I think the coloring brings it down because it just doesn't set the right mood for it. Uh, and I think it's going to – I'm going to go to just a B. I'm bringing it down one grade for the coloring. Um and story-wise, I really liked what we got here. I thought uh, Conway did a good job of, of having the main story run through, but also st- sticking in the subplots in a way where they didn't really interrupt the flow, to speak of. Uh, you know, just just kind of little interludes in, in between things, uh, and, and I thought it worked well. And I thought it was intriguing, and it made me want to see what's going to go on from there. So I'm going to say an A minus on the story. And overall, i'm going to give the book a b plus cool, so, as I mentioned earlier uh in response to Dave's bringing his first Batman, I brought my first Avengers, and the first issue I bought was Avengers number one twenty two which has a cover date on it of April of nineteen seventy four making it virtually exactly eight years before your book. Uh, <laughs> And the release date was January 8th of 1974. The cover shows the Avengers bursting through a comic book page uh, with Thor leading the way, Black Panther behind him, Iron Man behind him, uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch bringing up the, the rear, so to speak. And they're bursting through the comic book page, and it's Iron Man's declaring, we stand or fall against Zodiac. The uh, Black Panther saying, this time it's a fight to the finish and the word box says, the final battle. Uh, the cover is penciled by, I believe, Gil Kane and inked by John Romita Senior, if, if I'm correct on that. Uh, actually, looking at the uh, Marvel database page, it says the artist by Gil Kane, John Romita, and Gaspar Saladino. So I don't know if Saladino's a, the colorist, Or if Kane penciled it, Romita cleaned it up, and then Saladino inked it. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, The story is called Trapped in Outer Space, written by Steve Englehart, another one of my favorites of the era. Uh, Penciled by William Robert Brown, Bob Brown. uh, Inked by Mike Esposito. Colored by George Russo's. And lettered by John Costanza. The uh, editing is Roy Thomas. Now, previously to this issue, uh, there were two issues in a row where the Avengers were facing off and building up against uh, the Zodiac, who is, in their own way, maybe the equivalent of the Royal Flush Gang in D.C. Uh, And the last issue ended with uh, a faction of the Zodiac kind of turning against uh, their leader at the time, who was Taurus, uh, and while they were battling the Avengers in in what was effectively a barn or a warehouse, and Taurus got them uh, or or had had them set up because the warehouse slash barn was on a you know was on rockets, and he sent them into space, so the splash page shows the heroes and villains alike uh dealing with the uh you know, with, with the takeoff velocity and throwing them to the ground. My only problem with it is, uh, it almost looks like Thor who's the most powerful of the bunch is being affected more negatively by the centrifugal force or whatever force you want to call it. than than people who are considerably weaker than him. Uh, but that's, that's the only negative. I think it's a really cool and powerful splash page that we come into. And, uh, Then I guess they they reach some sort of velocity where they're going at a steady speed and they all get their footing and they decide to see what's going on. Thor throws Mjolnir uh, at the force field uh, that's there and I'm not sure exactly what he thought he was going to accomplish by doing so. But anyway, Mjolnir goes outside and uh, reacts in ways... I guess, that are convenient to the story, because my understanding is that it would always come back to Thor, no matter where he was. But in this instance, it's it's like more like a boomerang, and it returns to where he was. But by the time he it comes back, uh, Thor is now not quite in the place he was, so it doesn't come back into the, uh, the warehouse. Uh, it's a little and,
0: inconvenient for him, huh?
1: It's it's a lot inconvenient for him because as was the story of the time, uh, if the he was without it for sixty seconds, he would revert back to lame Don Blake, and he realizes that's happening and dives underneath some, uh, I guess some tarp, uh, and the Zodiac members see that this is going on and decide, hey, let's see what's going on with the Thunder God under there, but Iron Man who knows. Thor's secret identity uh, starts to protect him. And the vision who doesn't know also starts to help him because he's his friend. Uh, And then starts another battle between the respective factions on the ship until the vision points out how stupid they're being for fighting and they all settle down. We cut to the headquarters where Taurus is having a meeting with, uh, I think it's Gemini, Virgo, uh, was libra and capricorn uh and he's saying how he has set up those other people he's you know kind of pissed off he, you know get over it uh as they leave uh libra attacks gemini and knocks him out gemini is actually a split personality of sorts it's two twins uh one of which is a good guy and one of which is a bad guy he knocks out the bad guy and then goes and wakes the good guy version and has him impersonate his brother. Uh, what's called the Scarlet, Witch uses her hex power to open uh, a spot in the force field, which allows Iron Man to break out of the, uh, the ship. And he manages to, uh, bring Bjolnir over to the ship because they're weightless and somehow the, uh, you know, the the magic spell on Mjolnir does not work in space for whatever reason. Uh, anyway, he goes back to the to the warehouse and he starts forcing it into reentry, which starts to make to starts to burn it up in the reentry process. Yeah. Uh, but they manage to get stopped by Libra, who has confiscated one of uh, Taurus's ships and decided to help them. He puts them into a secondary force field and lowers them down to the ground. Cut away again, where Swordsman is sitting and in, in, uh, sitting vigil over Mantis, who was injured in the last issue, but she recovers. He's getting over a knife wound uh, that was infected from the Avengers Defenders War. So he's in a wheelchair. He tries to follow her, but he falls out and can't stand up. And we cut away from that, where. The good guy, Gemini, is talking to uh, Cornelius Van Lunt, who is the uh, alter ego or secret identity of Taurus. uh, And he mistakenly says something that reveals who he is. So Taurus just belts him in the face and knocks him out. Uh, And then he also attacks Capricorn and uh, Virgo for whatever reason. Anyway, the ship lands and the Avengers and Renegade, uh, Zodiac members all come off the ship and Taurus says to them, yeah sure you're, you know, you're, you're, you're renegades, you're turncoats, but if you side with the Avengers you're going to go to jail so whose side you're on? And they decide they're back on the, the side of evil and they attack the Avengers and another battle starts. Uh, during the course of the battle the vision blasts Taurus with his solar vision which knocks him into a pool And he can't swim, but the Vision is unable to uh, bring himself to save him. Mantis jumps in and saves him, and the Vision doesn't know why, which is a subplot that's going to be revealed as things go on. And then we find out, or we finish up with Libra being asked why he helped them, and he says that he thought Mantis was with them, and he's her father. I wonder if he said it in James Earl Jones' voice.
0: I am your father.
1: And then uh, to be continued with the origin of Mantis. Now, the the origin is, I mean, the origin is that he is his father. Uh, and the whole thing with the vision not being able to go into the water is a subplot that gets revealed, I don't know, about 10, 10 or 12 issues from now. Not for a while yet, uh, but it turns out, you know, at this time, I, and I think they've retconned it away a little bit, but that his android body was uh, a re- configured version of the original human torch uh, and he can't go in the water because he has like this claustrophobia of being in, in a confined space because he had been buried in cement and held in suspended animation for years as the human torch before he was revived and turned into the vision uh, and I like I said, I think they've retconned that version of his origin away somehow, because eventually they had the Vision and the original Human Torch on the West Coast Avengers. Uh, but that is the story, at least in this time period. So now this, as I said, was my first Avengers issue. And I cannot say that it didn't confuse me when I read it, because there was a lot going on here. And there was a lot of – what it, just what I was talking about with the Batman book – book where there were a lot of subplots that are going on, but they weren't as they didn't feel like they were just little stories on the sidelines. They felt like they were major parts of the plot right. that that were going on. So there was a lot happening here. But you know, I mean I was well, what what year you know, what are we talking about date wise? April of nineteen seventy four. So I was eleven. Uh and I was, you know, I had enough stick to itiveness that I was reading this through and I stayed with it and I eventually got the, you know, the the grasp of what was going on. So it wasn't that confusing, Uh, but there was a lot of meat here. And I think that's what I really started to enjoy about reading these books. And I think it's what really pulled me in. And it it goes against a lot of the theories that they had when they were, uh, you know, publishing in different eras, whereas I always preferred the long-form stories over the one done-in-one issues. I mean, there were a lot of good done-in-one issues, but for me, the ones that kind of kept you in suspense about certain aspects and you know gave fed you answers but created more questions while they were doing that. Those are the ones that I always found the most intriguing. Uh, I think you know probably the the master of doing that was probably Chris Claremont. Uh, you know when he was doing his X-Men run, he was you know, constantly seeding the next stories while he was telling the original story. And and I always enjoyed that very much. Um the artwork in this is a little inconsistent. Uh like I love the splash page, just the, the, the energy that's that's being shown with the takeoff and them all being pulled to the ground. But then there's other spots where it's a little more simple in the drawing. Uh, but overall, this is this is a a solid effort by Bob Brown. Uh, I'm just looking page ten uh, in the book, you know, the vision pointing out to space, and you uh, know, his face just looks nasty. Uh, and and I just think, you know, like he's he's not supposed to be a regular human; he's an android, and I think that's kind of just a cool look for him. Uh, there's, you know, when when Taurus knocks out Gemini, uh, and there's the scene where where he's just kind of like looking up to the sky and and like you know like roaring uh after he knocks him out i i just think it's so cool like you could feel the visceral energy there so i think it's really well laid out by bob brown i think most of the penciling is pretty solid and i'm not a huge bob brown fan but i think this is one of his one of his best as far as what i've read uh so i think the artwork is really solid i think the story is really solid i'm not giving grades just yet but you know it, it was it was definitely a good first book for me to read. It pulled me right in, and by the time, you know, I had read three issues of the Avengers, I was a fa- a, a huge fan. What did you think? Did you had you ever read this before?
0: I have ne- I had never read this before, and uh, were you very
1: confused by it?
0: I was rather
1: confused by it
0: because it is it's like you said you you. As opposed to the Batman book that just had, you know, small side stories that would eventually go somewhere. This seemed like, you know, it was a big a big battle story with major, you know, parts to it that if you didn't read what came before, you were a little bit lost. And, for, you know, uh, I wish I had read the issues that came before because i would have you cleared up quite a bit but i feel i uh, lost out on you know a significant mm. amount of it
1: well what's funny is uh you know i i did as i as we were talking about earlier i would go over to that book on uh, 86 that bookstore on 86th street and i would buy a lot of the back issues where he would he would actually write with a like I guess whatever the equivalent in the 1970s of a, sh- was a, of a Sharpie, he would write in the Comics Code Authority box like 25 or 30 or whatever, and that's what you paid for the books when you bought them, which it it, it fills me with nostalgia when I see some of my books that have those things on them, and it irks me at the same time that they... You're
0: ruining them. the book! What's wrong with you?
1: But I, I had gotten, you know, the Avengers issues over time, but I don't Think I had gotten 120 and 121 for quite a while after it had come out, so it took a while for me to to, to read the build up to this. But again, I like after I read the issues that came after it, I, I felt comfortable with the story as it was going for you know for quite you know without much problem.
0: I was also a little confused with the uh, Thor and his hammer issue because, like you, I I kind of thought. You know, it's more like Thor's a magnet for the, ham, the hammer. Yeah, when that's... It comes to him no matter what.
1: That's the way I always saw it.
0: Yeah. Iron Man puts it down on his arm and he can't get up there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, but, I I felt like the hammer thing was a, a convenient plot development as opposed to consistent.
0: Now, see, when I came to the point where uh, Vision doesn't want to go into the water, all I kept thinking is, oh, you rust.
1: (laughs) It's like the uh, Tin Man.
0: Yeah, that's literally what I was thinking, the Tin Man. But I mean, it's an exciting story, and it definitely seeds a lot of interesting uh, aspects to it. And I would be curious to see where it started and where it goes. Now, have you read everything leading up to this?
1: I have now, uh, but I had not when I first read this. Right. Right. You know, I I read this in a vacuum at the time. Uh, and I, to be fair, uh, I reread the two issues before this uh, in the last week also, because I had to refresh my own memory as to what, what built up to this. Because it's been years since I read this, and then I remember, you know, from here we go to uh, Korea where there's like a whole battle there, and there's like a this, this space dragon kind of thing. It gets a little freaky, but then we go from there to uh, Kang, and you know, I start, get, you know, it was like it, it it indoctrinated me into Avengers lore pretty quickly.
0: See, I think my advent, my Avengers reading when I had the uh, Marvel Unlimited app I think I made it I want to say 50 issues in I didn't get past that Mm. so there's plenty of fertile ground for me to go back at some point should I be able to but it was interesting
1: yeah alright so any, any other thoughts on it yeah, I'm good. All right, so I guess we'll rate it. I personally think I think it is not nostalgia. I think this is an iconic cover. Uh, I think this is an A cover. And I, again, I don't think it's nostalgia. I think I would love this cover even if I had nothing. Uh, it, you know, it, it, what it is is it's a poster image. So I guess the negative you can give from that is it really doesn't have any kind of nexus to the story other than they say you know the word balloons say we fight was it we stand or fall against zodiac uh but other than that you know this could just be a poster but i just think it's a really really cool poster so it it loses it loses a plus status because it doesn't have a nexus to the story but it gets an a for me just the same uh the interior art I. Think I'm, I'm pretty pretty solid on my thought that this is as good as Bob Brown gets, uh, and and that's meant as a compliment. It's not meant as, <laughs> as a negative. Um, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say a, a B plus on the interior art, and and that's you know like I said I'm not a big Bob Brown guy, so this is you know that that's pretty solid as far as I'm concerned. And the story when I have it. In total context with everything around it, uh, it's really solid, and I would say a B-plus on the story. However, in a vacuum, this issue by itself, just reading it, uh, I could see where that's going to drop it down to a B instead of a B-plus because there's just so much you need to connect it to. Uh, But overall, I'll give the book a B-plus.
0: I would uh, be right there with you on the cover. I give the cover an A. So. The iconic images, great pose, dynamic, covers an A. I like the interior art too. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. I gave that a B. Plus. And the, uh, the story, because I read it in a vacuum, I'm going to go with a B on that. You know, uh, that might change if I went back and read the leading up to. But in the vacuum, I, I have to give it a B. So for me, overall, to B plus. Right.
1: That's I think that's that's a, a very good grade on, you know, two good books this week.
0: So, yeah, it's uh, funny we both picked, you know, first buys in the series, and we were both 11 years old at the same time.
1: Yeah, well, not at the same time. Well, I mean, <laughs>
0: at the same time we bought the book.
1: Yeah. So. That'll do it. You know what? In the thread for this on Facebook, I'd be curious to see what's the first book that the people who listen to this episode bought of Batman and or the Avengers. Just out of curiosity. And, you know, did it make an impression on it? Did it make you want to read more? So let me know. I'm curious. And uh, I'm I'm also calling, as I think Scott has done in the past, that if you're a listener and you're not on our Facebook page, Join up. We like to hear from you guys. Uh, it's it's a pretty cool place for people just to put, you know, artwork that they like from stories or books that they just purchased. Hey, you know, look what I just got in the mail or whatever. Uh, and, uh, you know, every once in a while we have some cool threads that go on. So the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. But in the meanwhile, uh, from my from myself and my buddy Dave, we wish you a good day good day good night whatever it is that you're listening and uh we'll see you next week bye bye thank you so much for listening to our show and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness you can contact back to the bins to leave feedback comments questions suggestions and criticisms via email at bins at two true or by joining the back to the bins group on facebook Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiMonzo Corp of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.